Alright, if you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. And as you do that, I'm going to tell you a story. In August of 2003, the Church of the Holy Cross in New York City was, was broken into twice. And the first time they broke in, they stole a money box from the church. But the second time these people broke in, they stole something far more valuable. They unbolted a four-foot-long, 200-pound plaster Jesus from the wall of the church. They took the statue of Christ, but they left behind His wooden cross on the wall. So they came in the next day, and there's the wooden cross on the wall, but Jesus isn't on it anymore. Now, the church caretaker was interviewed. He was bewildered at this. He said, they just decided we're going to leave the cross and take Jesus. We don't know why they took just Him. We figure if you want the crucifix, you take the whole crucifix. As I thought about that, really what the guy is saying is that if you want Jesus... You have to take His cross too. And that's what Jesus was getting at in our New Testament reading this morning in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He's saying that if you want Me, you have to take My cross as well. You have to be willing to deny yourself, to deny your preferences and your pleasures and your power. If you want Me, you have to carry the cross of self-sacrifice every day. Now, if you think about that, if you think about that those are the requirements for Christian discipleship. You have to deny yourself and carry a cross. Is it any wonder we're so tempted to take Jesus but leave behind the cross? And there are a lot of different ways that our hearts may be inclined to leave Jesus, to take Jesus and leave the cross. You know, we can admire Jesus. And a lot of people do. They admire Jesus as a great teacher. They admire Him for teaching us to love our enemies and to forgive those who hurt us. They admire Him for reaching out to all kinds of different people from all walks of life and, and, and having compassion on the poor and the downtrodden. We can admire Jesus. We can be in awe of Jesus, of His power, of the miracles He worked. You know, He fed thousands with a few loaves of fish and bread and uh, loaves of bread and fish. He, uh, he, he healed the blind. He raised the dead. We can be in awe of His power. And we can marvel at the wonders of the cross. We can marvel that Jesus hung on that cross. He took our punishment. He, took, he paid our penalty. He suffered and died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. We might even find ourselves saying things like, thank you God that Jesus carried His cross and died so that I don't have to. But that's not really the call of discipleship, is it? Jesus tells us that we do have to die. We have to die to sin and to self. We have to die to the priorities and the values of this lost world. And Jesus says we do have to carry a cross. The cross of following Him. We don't carry a cross for our own salvation. We carry it for the sake of others. That we can proclaim the good news to them so that they can come and have a relationship with Christ. Do you ever find yourself marveling at Jesus? Admiring Jesus and awe of Jesus, even just worshiping Jesus, but shunning the cross? Or are you daily denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Him? See, when Jesus spoke these words in Luke 9 to these disciples, this wasn't the first time they had heard that. Jesus was just reminding them of the call of discipleship they had already answered. 
When Jesus first called these disciples, he called them to this very way of life. But he used a different image. He didn't talk about taking up your cross. He talked about laying down your nets and stepping out of your boat. We see here in Luke, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and James and John, it says, beginning in verse 14, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Based on Jesus' words to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who allows Jesus to transform them, and who commits to Jesus' mission. I want us to break down these three aspects of the call to discipleship and discover how today we can carry our cross and follow Him. The first thing Jesus said to them was, follow me. Follow me. Discipleship is first and foremost an invitation. And throughout His ministry, Jesus invited all kinds of people to follow Him. He called tax collectors, rich young lawyers, poor beggars, And here, Jesus invites four young fishermen. Now, to really understand the the magnitude of of this invitation to follow Him, we have to understand something about their life as fishermen. Being fishermen for these young men wasn't like having a summer job at Sonic to earn a little extra gas money. Nor was this something just relaxing you did on the weekend. Fishing for them was a way of life. This was the family business. See, kids back then didn't get to pick a career track in high school and then go off to college to discover themselves. No, you, you inherited the family business. You were expected to follow in your father's footsteps. So fishing was all these men ever knew, and it was what was expected of them for the rest of their lives. Following in the family business was even more important than getting married sometimes. And if you did get married... Then you'd bring that young bride home to mom and dad so you could keep on the family business. Because that was so important to maintain that. So for James and John to get up and leave their nets, their boat, and their dad, that was a big deal. They literally walked off the job and left their families in order to follow Jesus. Answering Jesus' call to follow Him was a costly and risky decision for these four guys. Now, for you and me, answering the call to salvation, to know and follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that probably won't mean that we're going to have to quit our job or move away. But following Jesus does mean that we have to make changes in our daily choices and priorities. It means leaving the comfort of our boats, the familiarity of our nets, even the approval of some of our family and friends. Have you ever really counted the cost of what it means to answer Jesus' invitation to follow Him? What nets do you need to lay down? Now, nets don't have to be something sinful. 
Now, yes, when we answer the call to follow Jesus, when we become Christians, we should be leaving behind our sins. But sometimes the nets can be very good things. They can be a distraction. They, they, they can keep us too busy and distracted with the things of this life so that we don't obey God. What things in your life are keeping you from obeying God? What things in your life are out of place in that list of priorities? What nets do you need to lay down this morning? What boat do you need to step out of? I think of the boat as our comfort zone. You know, it's, it's those places, those relationships, those attitudes and beliefs that are familiar. They're safe. They're easy. At church, we as a church have boats. You know, programs and ministries and events that, that we've always done. And they've been a blessing to us. And we've invested ourselves in them, but maybe they're just no longer working. Maybe we need to change some of them. We may need to say goodbye to the way we've always done it and be welcoming to some new ways or to some ways of doing old things in new ways. What boat do you need to step out of? What boat do we as a church need to step out of? And who might you need to be willing to leave behind? Now, maybe you've got someone in your life, a friend or a family member who's a bad influence on you. Who maybe is, is dragging you down and discouraging you. Or they're holding you back from really following after Jesus. Perhaps you need to distance yourselves from them and not let, let them have the influence and control in your life that you've allowed them to have. You've been worried too much about their opinions of you rather than God's opinion of you. The invitation to follow Jesus is a call to leave some things behind, to make some sacrifices, even to leave behind things that are good so that we can receive from God His best. And that's why discipleship starts with our head. Discipleship begins up here with our head as we learn to think more like Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus, believing the truth about Jesus, and acknowledging His Lordship and authority in our lives. The Peter, Paul says that Jesus is the head of the church. And we're the body, we're the members of His body. And so as those members, we submit to His leadership. My hand does what my head tells it to do. My mouth says what my head tells it to say. If the members of my body aren't doing what my head tells it to do, something's wrong, right? There's dysfunction in the body. And that is true for churches as well. And that's why a big part of Christian discipleship involves studying God's Word. Sitting under sound biblical preaching and teaching. Seeking to understand what the Bible teaches and why we should believe it. We need to spend time daily in God's Word. Engaged in spiritual habits. We need to spend time regularly with God's people in worship and in small group Bible studies so that we can grow together in our understanding and in our faith. Discipleship begins with the head as we learn to think like Jesus. And so our response to this invitation to follow Jesus is to accept Him as Lord and follow His lead in our lives. Now, when the Bible talks about this, when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, it's, uh, it, it begins with our heads, but it doesn't stop there. We, can, we can't just hear the Word Mentally assent to it as true and then do nothing else about it. 
We have to do something with the Word of God. That's what James says in James 2.17. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, James isn't making the case here that we're saved by faith plus works. He's saying that true saving faith is a faith that works. It's an act of faith. It's a faith that does something. You know, a better translation of this idea of believing that we have, I think a better English word for believe is the word follow. Jesus didn't say to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, come believe in me. He said, come follow me. Because when we talk about belief, we tend to think of it in a very passive way. You know, a belief is something you have. It's an internal thing. It's something that you think about. It's not necessarily something that calls you to do anything. That's how we tend to think about it. We even hear politicians talk about keeping their beliefs separate from their, from their policies, that they're not going to let their faith influence how they vote. But that's not how Christian faith is supposed to work. But on the other hand, if you talk about following Jesus, instead of just believing in Jesus, you talk about following Jesus, that is active. It's something you do. You're on the move. You're going somewhere. You're doing something. To follow is active and it's relational. Because if you're following, you've got to be following someone or something, don't you? You can't be a follower by yourself. You've got to be following someone. Now, everyone's a follower, right? Everyone's a follower of someone or something. The question is, who are you following? If you're following Jesus, it means something. If you're following Jesus, it means that you serve Jesus. To follow Jesus is to serve Him. John 12, 26, Jesus said, Whoever serves Me must follow Me. For where I am, My servant also will be. My Father will honor the One who serves Me. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to serve Jesus. Secondly, to follow Jesus is to obey Jesus. In John 14, Jesus said, Anyone who loves Me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them, make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So if we're going to love and follow Jesus, we're going to obey what He says. And third, to follow Jesus is to deny yourself. Like He said in Luke 9, 23. We have to deny ourselves. Or in Matthew chapter 16, he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Discipleship begins with the decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with confession and repentance, to leave some things behind, and to commit ourselves to follow him. Jesus does the infighting. Jesus is the one who calls us to salvation and discipleship. None of us come to Christ on our own. We're all drawn to Him in conviction by His Holy Spirit. But then the choice is ours whether or not to answer the call to follow. As the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. But this next aspect of discipleship is once again something only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can call us, and only Jesus can change us. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you. Follow me, and I will make you. Discipleship is an invitation, but it's an invitation to a process of transformation. It's a pathway. It's a journey 
to becoming more and more like Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 8.29 that God's Spirit is at work in believers so that we are continually being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. So discipleship begins in our heads as we learn to think like Jesus, but then discipleship involves our hearts as Jesus changes us to be more like Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Discipleship is about being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. Now, I want to explain a few things about this idea of being conformed, being changed into the image of Christ. I want to clarify what that means. Does anybody here remember the phrase WWJD? What does that mean? What would Jesus do? Now, this was really big in the 90s and early 2000s, and you could buy, you know, bumper stickers and bracelets and T-shirts and mouse pads and, and you name it. You could buy just about anything, oven mitts, whatever it is. You could buy something with WWJD written on it. And, and this all came about from the revival of a 19th century book written by a preacher called In His Steps. And that whole book was about how a little town was transformed as people began to ask the question, what would Jesus do? The problem with the whole idea behind WWJD is that it ended up being reduced to simply imitating Jesus. Asking, what would Jesus do in certain situations? And the problem with that is that Jesus isn't just some ancient wise teacher whose example we should follow today. Discipleship is not about asking, what would Jesus do? It's about asking, what is Jesus doing through me? That's discipleship. It's not enough simply to be like Jesus in a superficial sense. When we settle for just trying to imitate Jesus, you know what ends up happening? We get frustrated in our faith because, guess what? None of us can ever be like Jesus, right? We're all going to fail at trying to be like Jesus. And that's the good news. Jesus doesn't call us to just be like Him. He wants to, us to be in Him. And He wants to be in us. That's what Paul means in Colossians 3 when he says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he says that Christ is your life. We don't just live our life trying to be like Jesus. We allow Jesus to live His life through us. We allow Him to transform us into His likeness. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's not faith in my own ability to live up to this ideal of Jesus. It's my faith in Jesus' ability to transform me as He lives through me. Jesus doesn't want you just to imitate Him. He wants you to allow Him to inhabit you. He wants to share His resurrection life with you. That's why Jesus says in John 15, 4, Remain in Me. That means abide, dwell, live in Me. As I also live in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. One author explained it this way. He said, The gospel is not the imitation of Christ. 
It's the implantation and impartation of Christ. We are called to do more than mediate truth. We are called to manifest Jesus' presence. In other words, Jesus isn't just calling you to imitate Him. He's not calling you to imitation. He's calling you to incarnation. For the Spirit of Christ to live in and through you so that He forms the image of Christ within you. So that your desires are Christ's desires. So that you see the world and people through His eyes. So that you allow Jesus to love and serve others through you. We literally begin to have the very mind and attitude of Jesus. We care about the things He cares about. We have the same values that He has. Our heart beats in rhythm with the heart of God. And while this is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit in us, it's not something we just kind of passively sit around and wait for Jesus to do in us. He calls us to be partners in the process of our own spiritual transformation. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words... The salvation that God has worked in you through His grace, we work out through our obedience. So that as Jesus said, others may see our good works and give glory to God in heaven. So how do we respond to this part of discipleship? How do we partner with the Spirit's transforming work in our lives? Our response is twofold. Submission and spiritual disciplines. Submission and spiritual disciplines. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices to Jesus so that rather than being conformed to the ways of the world, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we're actively engaged in this process through spiritual disciplines as part of, our, of renewing our minds. And these spiritual disciplines, you might call them spiritual habits or spiritual practices, they include things like the transforming power of prayer. They include the, 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 the Word of God, of meditating on Scripture so that we set our minds on things on he, in heaven, so that we hide God's Word in our heart, we memorize God's Word so that it empowers us to resist temptation. It's prayer. It's spending time in the Word of God. It's having an attitude of gratitude. Giving cheerfully of our tithe, our treasures, our time, our talents. That's a spiritual discipline. Sabbath rest. Corporate worship. Silence, solitude, fasting. We could go on. There are so many ways that we can become active participants with God in our own spiritual transformation. And there's a goal to this transformation. See, Jesus first invites us. Discipleship is an invitation. He invites us. He says, I will make you. He invites us to this process of transformation. But then there's a goal. And that is to answer Jesus' call to go and make more disciples. He says, I will make you what? Fishers of men. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Ben referenced this when he's talking about St. Patrick. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. 
The Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's not for bonus points. This is a command. This is our purpose in life. And not just our purpose as a church. This is the purpose in life for every follower of Jesus Christ. If we aren't actively going to make disciples, then we're not actively following Jesus. If you're following someone, you're following them to a destination. This is the destination. This is the point. And if we're not following Jesus to make disciples, then we are living in disobedience. Discipleship starts in our head. As we begin to think more like Jesus, it moves to our heart. As we become, as we learn to be more like Jesus. But then discipleship results in people who act like Jesus as we become His hands and His feet. One author wrote it this way. If our acceptance of Jesus begins in the head and extends to the heart, it leads to a change with what we do with our hands. From the head to the heart to the hands. And this is when we know that we're actually following Jesus when we're making more disciples. What you believe about Jesus must translate into how you live for Jesus. And that means sharing the gospel with those who are far from God. When Jesus talks about His followers bearing fruit, it's not just the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit is how we shine the light of good works for others to see. But the point of those good works is so that those who see them will give glory to our Father in heaven. That's the ultimate fruit Jesus wants us to bear. The fruit of more disciples. The fruit of more people being transformed into His image. And that is our final response to Jesus' call. To be disciples and to follow Him. Our response is that we go. We go and we make disciples as ambassadors for Christ. I'm going to close here with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15-20. through 20. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to go back and point out how all three of these aspects of discipleship are right here in this passage of Scripture. Paul begins in verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now look back up there at verse 15. If you'll go back, Josh, through there, back to verse 15. Look, look up there at verse 15. Here we see Paul talking about following Jesus, living for Him and not for ourselves. That, that, that we, we use our head, we begin to think like Jesus, we acknowledge His Lordship in our lives, and we follow His lead in our lives, in our households, and in our church. That's that call to follow Jesus. If you look at verse 17... Paul talks about how we become new creations. 
How Jesus spiritually transforms our hearts and makes us new. So that we're not like we used to be. We're not like the lost people in the world. We're being made new, conformed to the image of Christ. We are being more like Jesus. And then in verses 18 through 20, he says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has entrusted us with this good news that people can be reconciled with God. We are made Christ's ambassadors so that God makes His appeal through us. We are to go to our family and our friends and our neighbors and even strangers and implore with them on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are to follow Him so that He can make us be fishers of men. We follow Him with our head. We learn to think more like Jesus. We follow Him with our hearts. We are becoming more like Jesus. And we follow Him with our hands, our feet, and our mouths as we act like Jesus. We do the things that Jesus did. Now, one simple way you can do this last part, one simple way that you can be fishers of men between now and Easter is to identify your one. I'm challenging us all to identify our one. Who's your one? Your one person that you're going to invite to come to worship on Easter Sunday. That's a start. That's a start at being intentional and thinking about other people who need to come to church, who need to come to faith in Christ, and at least beginning that conversation and inviting them to come to church and worship with you. Have you identified your one yet? I have. I've already asked them to come to worship with me on Easter Sunday. I hope that you will do the same thing as well. This morning I want to ask you this. Have you answered Jesus' call to discipleship? Is Jesus the Lord of your whole life, your head, your heart, and your hands? It begins with the simple act of following Jesus as your Savior. Now, Jesus invites everyone to an abundant eternal life, to know God's grace and forgiveness, to let Him give you a fresh start. Will you answer that call? To follow Jesus today as Lord and Savior? Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already given your life to Jesus Christ. But you've never made it public. You've never followed Him in baptism. Perhaps this morning you need to step out of the boat of anonymity. You need to lay down the net of pride and come this morning to publicly profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and follow Him in believer's baptism. Maybe that's the decision you need to make today. For those of us who are already professing Christians, let me ask you this. Are you submitting to the Spirit's work? Are you allowing Him to transform your heart to make you be more like Jesus? Are you participating with God in your own spiritual growth through, through reading His Word and through praying and through worshiping and through growing in a small group of other Christians? Maybe this morning you need to renew your commitment to follow Jesus by surrendering yourself to Him once again and letting Him have free rule and reign in your heart. Are you fully committed to the mission of Christ? Are you allowing Him to make you into fishers of men? Are you doing the work God has called you to do to go to those you know that are far from Him and share the hope of eternal life with them? Perhaps this morning you need to recommit yourself to be a disciple of Jesus. Perhaps this morning you need to recommit yourself to being one who makes disciples of Jesus. Whatever God has led on your heart today, whatever He's speaking to your mind, will you use your feet? Will you use your hands? Will you be obedient? Would you stand and pray with me?